Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Everything I've ever known was in darkness. I've sat on the road near the temple. I've reached out my hands just enough to keep me coming back to this spot and getting by just for the day, just wanting to get by day after day after day after day. And unfortunately, my condition has limited me. Being born blind has limited me. I hear the murmurs of people that pass me by. There he is again. As the very few and far between, just give me a few coins. Just enough to keep the hope that I have going. I've sat near the temple. Surely those who who go there, who go to the temple and worship God, surely they're going to be the ones to give me a few coins who care the most about me, right? My whole life I've longed for a place and a status that I have never known, but I was limited. I always was picked last in gym class. Never chosen to go on a date. Everything my life, whether people said it or not, was centered around the fact that I was born blind. But there was just one day, just one day out of all my entire life that changed everything. The day that Jesus saw me. A lifetime of begging turned on its head. The day that changed everything. John chapter 9, John's gospel. John records in one encounter of a blind man in Jesus. And in John's gospel, miracles always mean something more. John wants us to know that these types of miracles have a much deeper spiritual meaning and that they tell us about who Jesus is and they reveal to us more about Jesus but also about ourselves and the very deep spiritual need that we all face and that we all encounter on a daily basis. Everything that Jesus does reveals more about the heart of God the Father, and reveals to us more about who He is and what He has done for us. So we begin a series about the person of Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, and very significant statements that Jesus makes in His ministry. There are seven of them um, in John, in the Gospel of John, and Jesus makes this across His ministry and His life. And these are more than just simple statements, but they are, give us a window into our life and why we believe in the person that we believe and who we place our trust in. So going to look at the seven I am statements and there they are, the gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. And we reaffirmed last week that Jesus is alive that Jesus ascended to God. He is still living. He's still alive. He is in the present tense. These are realities for everyone today. Whoever comes to faith can know that the one true Jesus revealed himself long ago, but yet he's alive today. You see, Jesus is not a was. Jesus is an is. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He did not die twice. He's on his throne, and he's just as much as active in this world as he was 2,000 years ago. And he's alive. And if he's alive, that changes how we live, our relationships and our families and our churches. And one author says that no leader, no author, and no organization and no set of religious disciplines can do for us what Jesus alone can do if we let him. 
Even the book that you're now reading can merely point you to the way to Jesus. Divine truth becomes dynamic life only when we yield to Jesus by faith and follow him. And if the founders of the world's philosophies and religious systems were alive on earth today, they could only say, I was. They're dead and they can't personally help you. Jesus doesn't say, I was. He's alive and he says, I am. And he can meet our needs today. He is alive in this very moment and gives us a very uh, satisfying spiritual life in the present tense right now. Hebrews 13.8 reminds us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Past history, present reality, future certainty all unite today under Jesus Christ, the great I am. And these I am statements, right? Sometimes we read these and like we're kind of not sure maybe what to, what to think about them or like not sure what this means for us. But these reveal the depths of the Christian life and how God's children, all of us, can go deeper by living with Jesus Christ in the present tense. And now we will be able to say, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me in Galatians 2.20. And see, our past sometimes discourages us, and the future frightens us oftentimes. We're uncertain of that. Um, But the life I now live today can be enriching and encouraging because Christ lives in me. And as we live by faith a day at a time, Jesus enables us to be faithful and fruitful and content. You see, God doesn't want us to ignore the past, and the past should be a rudder to guide us forward into the future, and not an anchor to hold us back. Um, Nor does God want us to neglect planning for the future, as long as we say if it's the Lord's will. And so the better we understand these I am statements, seven statements, we will run and not grow weary and walk and not be faint, according to Isaiah 40, 31. We will abide in Christ and bear fruit for his glory today, even now. And so even now, do you believe that? That he really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he is who he says he is. That he's able to bring forth hope and healing and redemption in your life, even right now. So my prayer in this series is that these I am statements would be a window to our own life so that others will also see Jesus Christ in us as well. John's goal, this is the gospel of John's primary goal. It comes in the last part of his, um, the uh, second to last chapter of his book. He says in John 20, 30, 31, that very key verse highlighting the purpose of the entirety of this gospel of John. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John, in particular, wants us to know that to believe in Jesus is to be changed. That the word believe shows up 98 times in the Gospel of John, and he wants us to know to believe in Christ. And to believe in Jesus is to be changed. Um, And so all of these miracles that happen in John's Gospel show us that Jesus... Um, that Jesus, that he is more than a miracle worker. He is a miracle worker. He is that. But he's also the one to give us life in life to the fullest. Um, he wants us to know that also that has a lot to do about ourselves and when, how we believe and what we believe. Um, so we're going to read the passage in John 9. It's on page 757. If you want to grab a Bible in front of you or on the screen behind me. Um, John chapter 8, and this is before we're going to read the passage and then kind of talk about the big picture, right? So the, the story comes within a setting, um, a particular uh, background. There's a, something going on here behind the text, but we're going to read it and then talk about what the big picture uh, of this means um, and what this means for the crowds that are following him and his disciples and those types of things. So we're in John 8, and if you don't have a church that preaches and teaches the scriptures, uh, we at this church do that. 
And I pray that you would find a church that does the same, preaches, teaches from the scriptures faithfully. Uh, John 8, verse 12, starting in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees, a group of people, uh, always in particular uh, uh, defense and um, also in contrast to Jesus, challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered this. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. And this course kind of gets into some Jewish law kind of things here. Um, that you judge by no human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. And he says this to them, In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And then they asked him, Where is your Father? And they, he says, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Okay, so here's kind of the big picture. John chapter 8. This is kind of this, the setting of this story. Jesus has been very busy challenging this group of people called the Pharisees. They were a group of people very strict in observance at that time to the Jews law, and they were very religious people, very spiritually serious. They didn't fully understand, nor did they want to understand, that Jesus came from God, um, that God came from God, and that he was given authority to do the Father's will. They loved to cast judgment on others, thinking that they had some spiritual right standing with God based on what they did. So Jesus comes on the scene, and he starts to break down that line of thinking and their process, and he fulfills the law, and he establishes a new kingdom on hand, and it's Jesus who says that anyone can come to find me and find life and salvation and hope, and it's not based on your background or what you've done or who you are. It's all because of grace. So when Jesus is conversing with the Pharisees, he's primarily focused on a very religious group of people who were very linear, very one-way line of thinking and how God should operate. So God shouldn't interact with blind people and blind beggars, and he shouldn't do that. Those were the outcasts of society, and they felt like that that was something they shouldn't do. And God shouldn't be doing the things like uh, conversing with lepers and healing the blind and the lame and all that entails, and God shouldn't do that. Um, light and darkness is very, very kind of a, a very major theme across all of the scriptures, all of the Bible, very significant um, but here Jesus is saying this light, I am the light of the world, in, context, in that time period and that and what was going on. Um, he says this in context of the Jewish temple at the time. And it's here, this people, and right in this moment, are celebrating what's called the Festival of Tabernacles. And it's where the Jewish people from Jerusalem specifically were celebrating the event of the Israelites, God's people, being led out of Egypt for 400 years. They're celebrating this past event. 
Um, and it's where God's people were celebrating their uh, rescue from Egypt for 400 years. And God leads them out of Egypt by, by him and him alone. And this is a festival that's happening at the temple. And Jesus says he's the light of the world. And Exodus 13 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them and a pillar of cloud to guide them in their way and a pillar of cl- fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So Jesus is saying this to a festival, and why this is significant right now, and this, and this, what's happening here, is that normally in this festival in the temple, there'd be these four very large lamps, almost torches, that would be lit in the temple courts to symbolize God's provision of this, is what's happened, to guide them out of the people, um, to, for the people of Israel out of Egypt. So Jesus making this claim to them is huge. He's saying that I'm the one, I'm also the same guy, uh, same guide, uh, from the Old Testament. And the Pharisees didn't really like that. They felt like that was something like they sh- that, that was left to God. And Jesus is saying he's from God. And he's saying he's the light of the world. And so if you think about this, think about a place in a society with no electricity. Jesus makes this claim. And I can imagine the whole place being brightened up because of the torches that were lit at this festival. And notice too that the telling, it's always telling to me, all across the Gospels, it's the kinds of people that are really at odds with Jesus. It's always very telling, um, being the light of the world. It's kind of those who are the religious, the Pharisees, religious people. Those who think they have God figured out. Yet God, yet, yet those who think they have a special place, maybe because they have, they're obedient to God, like the Pharisees. And we find that Jesus continues to break down that wall to the Pharisees by what he does and what he shows. He's the light of the world and the light of life. And the concept of light shows up all across the scriptures, all across the way. And it's a way in which God communicates to us that he created the world and that he loves us. Um, God speaks, Genesis 1, 2 through 5, before anything is created in the world we find that God speaks light into existence. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening and there was morning the first day. And even from the very beginning of creation, We cannot exist apart from light. We just can't. God didn't create this world without the presence of light. We wouldn't exist apart from it. And Jesus is saying, that is who I am. You cannot experience life without light and without me. In Isaiah, about 700 years before Jesus, there's this prophet Isaiah comes to the people of Israel again. And he's this mouthpiece to the people. And he says um, this, that there will never be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he was humbled by the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And when Jesus arrives, this is predicting Jesus 700 years before Jesus. Jesus arrives and the scriptures say that he becomes the rival to the people of the whole world not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for the whole world, that this is the Savior. And the Savior comes for the announcement of a flood of light coming through the lowest rung of society, of the people, the shepherds. And the shepherds are in a nearby field, and they're told of the Messiah's arrival. 
in a very humble major, and a radiant light glow, and a host of angels shows up. In Luke 2, 8 through 9, in the dark night, the glory of the Lord shone so brightly before them that the angels' first words are, do not be afraid. I love that those are the first words on the scene, don't be afraid. And later in the story, wise men from afar are guided by the nativity by the light of a star from the east. God used light to proclaim his salvation. And John says in this first chapter, just a few, several chapters before, he says that in him was life, and that life was the what? The light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But there's tension here, is there? Do we not look at the world around us and say, there is absolutely no way to be bright in a dark world? I mean, if you ever walked outside in the early hours of the morning or late at night, you know the blanket of darkness can be cold and very consuming. Kind of way that's, kind of see that as well spiritually. It's kind of the, the connection there. And I can recall uh, when I thought about this this week and I was piecing this together, starting to think of a story. And I can remember in college, um, I went to a school in the middle of, um, uh, middle of a cornfield in Indiana. Um, and there's nothing out there other than one traffic stoplight um, and a little ice cream place there. And um, I can recall um, as I was um, exiting the library from studying these flashcards that these wait, late night walks at night and it being you in the darkness in this one traffic light town and kind of the stars in the sky and feeling very overwhelmed by the darkness. Um, and yet knowing there's just enough light to keep me from being terrified. And if you've ever done those walks, you know that those sometimes that there's un- unidentifiable voices around you crunching beneath your feet and sounds of various nature and insects that happen around there and around you in either side. And there's echoes of crickets happening and there's slowly fade away into a quiet whisper. And you know those moments of darkness. It can feel like the darkness is overwhelming in our world. It's almost defeating. And we ask ourselves, does the light even make any difference at all? I mean, does the light that we carry really help expel the darkness? I mean, it can very, be very discouraging to zero in. Very, very discouraging to zero in and focus the attention on the darkness of the world can surely be quite discouraging. And what Jesus is saying, that he's the light of the world, and that in the midst of a dark world, you can't go through life apart from God. Living a life apart from God is living in darkness. It's only through Jesus we experience the meaning and the life and the hope that was meant to be lived in the first place with him and in communion with him. We must keep this supreme claim of Jesus being the light of the world. We may feel as though we can barely take another step. We are often confused and disappointed and discouraged, yet Jesus says to us right now, I am the light of the world. I am the light of life. That darkness that you know of, maybe that's creeping in around your family, friends, that's in your career, currently right now, the way you grew up, some person unfairly labeled you. All of that darkness, it can feel as though it is, it is creeping in and that darkness is not enough. And he's saying, I am the light of the world. Not just lights in the sanctuary, but the light of the world, the entire world. Big enough to encompass all the light that gives light to this world, meaning and breath and life itself. Just a chapter later, this is a story that illustrates this. There's a, there's a, there's a chapter, um, there's a story about 
how this light is applied to life. Miracles that mean something more in John's gospel. And this is a story that highlights this. This is a story um, that has to do with a miracle. And this conversation is included with the Pharisees there. And we find this about light. We find this about what Jesus, what happens when Jesus touches this person. In John 9, if you want to flip there, verses 1 through 12. We'll read 1 through 12. This is a story on a blind man. Verse 1, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. Notice that Jesus, just from verse 1, let's just point it out. As he saw a man blind from birth, Jesus notices hurting people. Jesus is walking along, and he notices hurting people. Isn't that good? His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, in those days, it was thought that if you had a, if you had a disability or, a, or blindness of that, it might have been because of your family's sins. Um, and so that's what he's getting at here. Um, and the world, is, the world is sinful and the world is broken. And um, it's, that's exactly what, you know, he's, the world is, unfortunately, we were all born into a sinful world. Uh, and we all are broken. And uh, Jesus dispels that. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Very urgent. Night is coming. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva, and he, sit, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So this man went and washed and came home seeing. I think it's interesting how the pool of Siloam's name means sent, and this man goes and is uh, cleansed and then is sent. Um, his neighbors and those who had merely seen him begging asked, isn't the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. But others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am the man. <laughs> and how then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. And where is this man, they asked him. And he said, I don't know. Uh, the blind man reveals to us that we can reject Jesus. We can be spiritually blind and claim to walk in the light. And the point that Jesus is trying to make to this man and the Pharisees is even though they're celebrating their traditions and their history, it can be meaningless unless we follow Christ Jesus today. All of those I am statements are deep spiritual needs that today is the day to follow Jesus and not tomorrow. Notice in verse 4, he says, you don't, he says that night is coming, so we've got to do the work of God. And one commentator says, you don't have much time to make the connection between my mission and your life work. It's daylight now. Go for it. Night is coming sooner than you think. The blind man reveals a need. The blind man knew his need. And John 9 knew his need. You see, I see was not a part of his vocabulary. He knew he was in the dark. And he knew it was not only physical, but he also knew it was spiritual. And we can be sure that the disciples' discussion about the cause of his blindness was not his first exposure to that idea that maybe it was his parents. He was born blind because of the sins of his parents. And while we know it was not, his, it was not whose sin that caused his blindness, we know that he was a sinner, like all of us. We're broken. 
And ironically, the, the, ironically, we know that the beggar could have said to himself, I'm the best beggar there is, I'm the king of beggars. <laughs> but the thrust of this chapter is this, the one who sees his need, the blind who want to see, the blind man literally reveals to us that everything changed. Literally, the way he saw others, the colors and the world and everything about it changed when he encountered the one true light. So we, when we encounter Jesus, the one true light, the way we look at the world changes. And it's not fanciful. It's not to neglect the darkness or to the sin around us. It's not to neglect that. In fact, we're to shine brightly through it. But the way we see our neighbors changes. The way we see the world through the eyes of Jesus and the eyes of faith changes. He is the source of the life and light itself. We look at our communities the way God might see them through the eyes of faith. Lord, might we look at the world through the way that you desire. You're the source of redemption and life and hope and true light. And we live lives that are deeply connected with the light and committed to the light because the darkness can seem very overwhelming and powerful. And this blind beggar knew something deeper about the light. And if you're here today and you're like, you hear the story of the blind beggar, and you're like, that's an experience that I had a long time ago. And unfortunately, the darkness has just caved in over time. The family is nothing but chaos. The children are tough. Maybe you're like, the longer that I live, the older that I get, the darker the world is. The deeper the disdain I have for the world, and the light cannot be shining anymore. Perhaps the longer we live, the light becomes less. Or the faith that we had as a child just runs out. Maybe it's a darkness that creeps in here, a sin here. And then all of a sudden, a relationship breaks down here. A person misuses our trust anymore. And then we find ourselves walking in darkness. And which is why Jesus hammers home that he is the light. I am the light of the world in the present tense today. To live into the light today and it was maybe that was you maybe christ initially brought in that light to your life which was quite dramatic and then darkness just seemed and has flushed and it has caved in to your life and it's possible to come to know christ and to seal ourselves off from that light on a daily basis as with the pharisees our pride can often lead to this invisible change and can dull us to the aggressive nature of darkness in our heart the self-satisfied attitude of the Pharisees is deadly. We comfort ourselves in our ability to see the sin in the world. We see that Jesus is the answer. We see moral problems and we see the ethical answers. We focus on what we think we see but never really see into our hearts. It's so easy to focus on our piety or the changes in our habits and speech. And while we congratulate ourselves, we will allow evil to spread unrestricted in our souls. The ground of, I love this, the ground of seeing and spiritual growth is the awareness of how dark our hearts are and how desperately we need Jesus. And the Pharisees are often those people who sort of see, they see other people, they see the sin of the world, they see the, the, the answers, the problems to that. And yet Jesus reminds us that the ground of seeing and spiritual growth is the awareness of how dark our hearts were. And I think the blind beggar gets to that. When we hear the Lord in his opening words in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who realize that they have nothing within themselves to commend them to God, he revealed not only what is required to see the kingdom of God, but to keep growing and to keep on seeing the light. It's blind beggars who keep on seeing. And if we know the light, this is a few things, just if we know the light, 
If you know the light, if you are following Jesus, keep following the light daily. And for those who we're praying for, maybe you've got them in this room or maybe you know them personally. Those who are praying, we're praying for that light would come to them. Be the light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's saying, continue to be the light to them because that light matters. It matters in a dark world. And we may not, and you may not, see that results or see the fruit of those results to be the light on a daily basis, but it matters in a dark world. Those stories that we see, the Holy Spirit leading us, those conversations, you may not see them in the newspaper. You may not hear from them. You may not see them on social media. You may not hear about them ever again, but that matters in a very dark world. Matthew 5.14 says that you are, imperative, you are, church, the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in their house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And if you remember that, it's the story of the blind man. He can bring forth completely new vision when he encounters people. When Jesus Christ encounters your life, he can give you new perspective, new vision. The very people we like to count out, the very people we might be praying for, that we're praying that, dark, that, 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 that Jesus might expel the darkness in their life, are the very people that God gives vision to. The very people we like to count out. John writes this, as we close, John writes this, writes this gospel. He is an eyewitness to Jesus. He writes this story through, he writes this gospel through Easter eyes. He's an old man at this point. John is probably the last gospel written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He's probably the last one. He's probably the oldest one writing all this down. And he's been told over and he's heard these stories been told. He's, he's told them over and over again. And he's been in the same room as Mary, the mother of Jesus. He's, he's heard her story. He's heard about Paul being executed. He's heard about Peter as apostle being hung. And John's in the late stages of his life. And he's experienced chaos. He's experienced loss in his life. And John never lost faith. John never lost faith. And that's why John's able to pick up the pen and look back on all of his life and what's happened with him and with Jesus. And look back on all that that's happened. And he's able to write in John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And John's able to write that because all that he's seen and all that he has witnessed, even despite all the chaos that he has been through. So here's some practical steps just as we close. Uh, worship team, will you come on up here as we close? Here's some practical steps for you. Um, if you're kind of like, if you're wrestling with it or what to do or, or what maybe to do next with I am the light of the world. Um, to recognize open doors. Um, there's open doors that happen all the time and a lot of those are just open doors about the brokenness that we face, the, the sin that we, um, the, the, the brokenness in this world, the sin that's caved in, just the, um, the amount of brokenness that we see. A lot of that um, is an open door. Right? Maybe someone is struggling that you know in a relationship or in a marriage. A best friend backs out on their life. Somebody comes to you and is like, I am really struggling with being hurt in this area. It's an open door. That's an open door for light to shine. Um, and the second one is to act in those moments, right? It's also important for us, um, you know, in acting in those moments, um, 
and the kind of the second and third kind of point to this, but in those particular moments, it is so important. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we point, him to Je- we point them to Jesus. Um, the, the great truth and the great point of that and the great aspect of when we point others to Jesus is that we let, when we follow Jesus, he is the light of the world. And so we, when you follow Jesus, um, he is the light. He is the one that guides us forward. And so you point them to Jesus. And it doesn't have to be, if you're like, I don't know what to say, just point him to Jesus. Point others to Jesus. If you'll stand with us, we're going to sing one, one last song together.